Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Cersei Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. Uh, this week, I am joined by author and engineer and many other things, uh, Jimmy Molia in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Good morning to you and to all your listeners. So we're going to get into a few of Jimmy's writing projects today. Um, two that had to do with Shakespeare and one with with Dante. But as I was looking through your um, your bio, under languages, you had uh, you, you caught my attention with uh, I speak Spanish to God, French to men, Italian to women, and German to my horse. So I have so many questions about those things, but then all of those led you to write a book on the one of the greatest English writers of all time, Shakespeare. So, do you want to, do you want to elaborate on your on your languages a little bit for us? Uh, yes, well, very very quickly because each subject can expand almost to infinite. But let me put it this way: I've had three lives, one of which I did not mention in my in my resume online. My first, uh, yes, I had a classical education, but my first job was of a, was of a singing guitarist. And this is one of the reasons why I live in Oregon. See, when I was going to school, the, the, um, the American Western, the, the, what is called now the country, the, the country style, was very in fashion. And I became enamored when I was 16, 17 years old. So it is, and I was, I was playing an instrument before, but then I decided to play the guitar. And of course, to try to become a country and Western singer with a very strong Latin accent doesn't lend itself too well <laughs> to the project. But so I spent uh, on my initiative a long time, well, about a summer, to master the phonemes because the each, each language has phonemes. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting to your question. So make it very short. Eventually, when I decided I was ready, I I participated into a to a a, a a contest, a contest, a singing contest in my region. I won it, and that opened for me the way to go and um, play all over the place in Europe and various cruises and so forth. So it took me ten years to get my degree because I didn't want to leave it up. But um, and then I decided, what what should I go to do? What should I do next? Go to this way or go to the other way with the the more classical, let's say, employment? And that is how I get to that. However. I go back to the answer to your question. That exposure and that requirement of having to talk to so many people, you know, I've done about 10 years of this, more or less, during the summer and during the winter vacations, led me to the desire to know languages more and so to refine my not in order to speak with all these people that I had to speak, that is to speak with. Besides, uh, languages. The language is the soul of a people. So the more you know of a language, the more you can, I think, without being too rhetorical, you can access the mode of thought that mm -hmm. people have. So I hope I'll answer your question. Excellent. And you yourself, uh, like you, you alluded to, studied classically uh, the Greek and Latin for quite a bit. Does he? Uh... Latin, Latin for eight years and Greek for eight. Okay. And at the time... I did not realize that they, I did not uh, determine that they had a very practical use. But if I were to go back, it's always easy to go back on one's life or a, a questionable but easy 
I would say that that foundation was much more useful than I ever thought it could be, but not in a rhetorical way or something. Mm -hmm. The the way in which classical education is useful is subtle. It's not something that that the spring. Oh yeah, <laughs> in fact, as I mentioned, somewhat, somewhat uh, jokingly, this is not something I know Latin and Greek people say. <laughs> it's not something that gives you particular points of. Um, of admiration or things like that, but uh, you know, we conclude to say it was a useful thing. Yeah, well, you're you're in the right company. We uh, we think highly of learning the, the the ancient languages and of, of classical education in general. So uh, welcome. Um, and then your course took you, uh, like you said, brought you to to Oregon, working in in mechanical engineering. Um, Yes, then, in fact, there is a connection within my music and the the why I am in Oregon. Because in order for, as you know, everybody knows very well, uh, the Latin language is of a different type of structure in the, in the pronouncement of vowels. So it was very difficult for me to, quote-unquote, pass for a country in Western thinker with a Western <laughs> accent. In fact, uh, and uh, so the company that I worked for, they did reasonably well, um, had, was the primary uh, construct builder and developer of an instrument, which is called an oscilloscope. An oscilloscope is a device that allows you to visualize electricity. I'm going in very quickly here. And among the visualization of electricity are also sound waves. So I spent one summer, one summer trying to uh, match the way I was pronouncing these phonemes, which, is the, which are the foundation of language how could match him to a, 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 an American singer whose tone of voice was very close to mine, it was Pat Boone. And so, that, so but that got me in contact with this company, and I made my thesis on the how to use the oscilloscope to learn languages for, in order to match phonemes of one language to another. And so then the company was in Oregon, I wrote to them, and they made me an interview, and so they decided to hire me. So that was, there is a connection between this somewhat unusual curriculum, unusual resume, and uh, my presence in Oregon. Yes, and then you went, I think, from there uh, to, to your starting your own company with a different, a different instrument yes, you developed. I worked right? for the company for, for eight years. And I, I do not dislike, I do not like very much a very pompous title, but I, I became responsible for the marketing in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. So I spent much, most of my time in Europe from, on the island of Guernsey, the location, but I was traveling all the time and established offices, not myself, with the people that came up to help me. Our offices in various parts of the Middle East, so I know the Middle East pretty well. And then there was a change in the company, which I did personally I didn't like too much. So when I came back, I decided to start my own company, yes. Okay, so from ancient languages to multiple uh, European languages, um, to engineering, to your own company. So what led you to, to developing this first work, your daily Shakespeare, which is, uh, which is a... It's a dictionary or an index of sorts, right? For for it's, it's a situational quotes. dictionary. Yeah, and if if I if I may boast about it, although I will I will say I don't like to boast because 
as Shakespeare says, for it will come to pass, every braggart shall be found an ass. So, and that comes from all as well, then as well. But the, the main point being that it is the, the uh, Shakespeare is, I'm not going to here to magnify on the beauty of Shakespeare. There's a huge amount of material that can be brought to use in, in everyday use, but it is not very practical. And so I was looking for this type of dictionary, which is called the Situational Dictionary, but I did not find it. I looked it all over the place. I, I, only, I only found it once in London. I found a little, you know, near the British Museum. There was a, a, um, a I should have brought it here, but a, a dictionary was, in 1832, was a, a, that had the same construct of mind, but it did not, it didn't have the structure of mind, which will briefly describe. It was written in, was printed in font number six. And you know, <laughs> font number six is not very useful. And most importantly, they did not have the suggestions for use. A situational dictionary, the way I compiled, if I may say so, is as follows. You have the situation to which, the main situation to which the quote could be applied, number two, the quote, three suggestions for use, for example, the one that I just told you now, <laughs> somewhat, some, somewhat, um, uh, not the most polite one, but anyway, is a when you want to, to destroy or to criticize vanity or things. This is a good one to quote. And more important, the fourth, the fourth part of the of each entry is a description. Of the, of the context in which the quote appears in the original play, poem, or sonnet. And this was, was something I was looking for. That, there not being there, I decided, well, the only way to do it is to write it, it which is was, what Oscar Wilde used to say. Uh, when you write, when you, I'm just joking, of course, when you want to write a good book, or read a good book, you write it. But <laughs> the, the point being that, that, frankly, it was not there. One of the quote-unquote inspiration of the book was really very practical. I had in my relatively brief uh, uh, stay with the corporation, work with the corporation, I found that many of these meetings which I was attending to were um, sp uh, sp uh, speakers took a long time to explain a very simple concept with very very many long words, and that. I said, well, it would be much better and it would be more effective for um, to be able to explain a concept in the shortest possible way and yet in the somewhat incisive way. It was a general context. I'm not suggesting that I am a master of it because this is a discipline in which you never can be perfect. But there was a, that to me was a tool in order to attempt to gain a certain fluency in what we are trying to say and say it in a way that it may le leave an impression. And of course, here I am borrowing entirely, I'm, I'm, as a, to use a metaphor, I am walking, I'm standing on the shoulders of a giant, so I, have, <laughs> I claim no merit whatsoever. But to translate, to, excuse me, to translate something from the theoretical to the practical, this was a reasonable attempt, and no one had it. No, no one did it before, so it doesn't exist. And if I may boast here, and again, I, should, I will not repeat this quotation before, but, but uh, I've I've sold the book. I've sold the book even in, in um, what well, in <laughs> Mongolia. It was something that was looking for something like this. 
I am not making any advertisement of the book, but it is very, very, very useful. It took me 15 years to write it, mm-hmm. not because of the length, but because I wanted to find a, um, a structure that could be useful, a practical structure. So at one point I'd finished it, <laughs> essentially not throw it away, but most of it away in order to restructure it in such a way that could be useful. And in fact, I'm not boasting it because you're... It's really a platonic exercise. But I no, I, I, we have the, the copy, you know, that we have in the office, and I just picked it up last week, and it's, it's very intuitive without even reading the instructions in the beginning. You just very simply kind of flip in to, uh, it's alphabetically listed, and it's by uh, topics of um, really situations. All kinds of, all, yeah, situations, all kinds of ideas and situations, you know. Um, I flipped over to there's an on there are ongoing conversations on our podcast and in our office and uh, amongst our community about about ambition and how it's represented in various stories and good or bad and all those things. And so I flipped over to the ambition page and just started reading through all the all the different quotes that had to do with ambition. Um, it's very, very easy to use um, and really and it, and, it, and it doesn't just give you the quote. It, it puts it in context for you and and tells you where to find it. So. The, the con, if, if I may add here again, I seem to be making to advert to do something which I do not like to do, particularly to boast, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Boasting has <laughs> the, the limit between uh, uh, clarification and boasting is, is sort of no man's land. So we have yeah. to be careful. But what I, <clears throat> what I meant to say is the, the idea of, of finding the best possible way to concentrate meaning and yet at the same saying with elegance, here it is. It's Shakespeare gives us that. No one else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not true. Uh, uh, given, let me, uh, stop me. Um, again, I seem to boast here, but this one I will not even in the public. It took me long. I'm writing, excuse me, I've been extracting all the best, um, in my opinion, the best sections of um, of Gibbon, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. Emma, the sixth volume, the last one. You know, right. I, started, I started 14 years ago. So, and probably at the end of this year, I may end this one. But there are three three authors in English which are really the masters of the beauty of the language. Shakespeare, of course, or one point. Then there is Dr. Johnson, and there is Gibbon. These three one are just you may have the the, the the Eden, the paradise of English language elegance. Well, let, let me ask you that then. What what led, uh, what was kind of your path to to falling in love with Shakespeare in particular, coming from your background in classics and obviously not a native English speaker, but it, you know, there, there is always a drop. There is always a little stone that gets the avalanche going. Um, it, it was funny. As I mentioned, uh, mentioned before, in my uh, position and responsibility, I had reasonably often to come somewhere here back to the United States, to Portland, and I was part of a very long, long meeting and so forth. And the idea of, of Shakespeare came about during this meeting. There was a particularly, particularly verbose verbose speaker, which is a very, I'm not blaming him or criticizing but I was like, I wonder if he, he could, if he could, try, I wonder if he could make an effort to try what he says in, in a shorter way. It would be also beneficial for him because when you say something that people understand quickly, say, oh yeah, maybe it's wrong, maybe I agree, maybe I don't. And uh, at the time, at the time, I have, because I was traveling by, uh, by uh, 
uh, along all the time. And I had with me Richard, the uh, booklet of Richard III, King Richard III, you know. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through it, there's the quotation, when Richard III asks um, one of the other characters why he speaks in such a long way, and he says, why didst thou run so many miles about when thou mayst tell thy tales the nearest way to heaven? Why, why do you, why you go so long when you could tell, when you make your point very quickly? And so this is a, this is a fantastic idea. He is, he is, of course, I'm exaggerating. I'm making, I'm, I'm assuming a theater type mode now. But I'm exaggerating. But I said, this is a fantastic way to tell someone to speak more concisely. <laughs> and that, the idea came from at that point on, I don't remember when I was, where I was flying from, where to where, but that's how I started. So this will be, if this type of thing, this quote is so useful, but then I started looking at the other ones and then I started making, making all the preparations, so to speak, the structure for making the dictionary. So I hope I've answered your question. Yes, I just want to switch gears. You've done another one. This one, I couldn't get as much use out of because I don't read Italian, but you have a similar index or a similar dictionary for um, for the Dante's Divine, Divine Comedy. Yes, uh, but this is 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 published in Italian uh, by an yes. Italian press. And was this one? Did this come after Shakespeare? Yes. Okay. In Master Shepherd, in a, in a very unusual way, uh, I. Uh, this I haven't done much publicity of this, but it is very useful. <laughs> Money is not even an issue. But um, so some of my books have found have found their ways in various places, as I mentioned, of Shakespeare. And one came to a, an Italian senator, came up to an Italian senator, and so he, he saw my name. He, my name has an Italian ring. So uh, the long, long to make a long story short. Uh, it came, uh, uh, the suggestion was made to me to make the, the same thing for for Dante, and because it, is, it goes back to my, as I said, training education. So I said, "Well, let's try it," and so that it came up with that. So were, this is why the uh, came up that the uh, government of Tuscany published it, and okay, as opposed to another company, another outfit. So, so you've mentioned uh, that you're working on something similar for Gibbons. Um, what? I finished, but I will not do it. It's a huge Gibbon is six volume. It's such a fun. I would recommend. I'm sorry, you, you are. I'm, no, I'm, please go ahead. I'm, I'm speaking to the master as if I were no your master, your your company. I would recommend to anyone other than Shakespeare to read um, Gibbon. Not so much for you know, the story is immense, and you learn quite a bit about this and that. It's very complex. The, the Crusades are extremely complicated. It's nothing as simple as you, you go there to free the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. No, there were the, the there was the Saracens. There were the there were the Muslims. Sometimes the Saracens were the Christians, and the Christians were with the with the uh, Roman with the uh, West Eastern. Very complicated. And but the way he expresses himself, he expresses this historical event is so elegant, so clear, so profound, and so instructive that I, if it were up to me, of course I'm glad it is, I'm not uh, responsible, I would make the reading of, um, of Gibbon as a requirement, 
not so much for learning all the details, extremely intricate details of the history, but as a tool for acquiring fluency, elegance, and conciseness of expression. Is that when you, so when you uh, undertake one of these, this is now the third of these long. um, I just mentioned it, excuse me, you asked me a question, I deviated, but a little bit longer than I was hoping to. But you asked me about the, the next work, yes. But I, I thought it was was worth mentioning because it would be very useful to any student. If I could have to start again, I would start with Gibbon. Yes. Yeah. From, from the prose, from the prose. Well, that, that that really leads into my question, though. Is it is it is it, because, is it the excellence in writing, which is what is kind of the impetus for you to, to do this type of cataloging uh, for a particular writer? Because with Shakespeare and Gibbons being... Uh, excellent examples in English, and then obviously Dante in in Italian. Is that uh, yes. the type of works? Yes, uh, this is going to be a placid, not a platitude. It is. We all agree that uh, the elegance of expression <laughs> gives strength to to the subject, right? <laughs> Clearly, uh, and so. Elegance is not something that can be just, you know, doesn't come down from the sky. It, it has, it has, to, it just is like skiing, like any activity. You have to, you find, you you start from scratch and then you find, yeah, maybe I do this slightly different, I do this slightly different. And all of a sudden you find that you have acquired a skill that, that before you think, like, you, never, you never thought it was, it could have been possible. So that, that was, has, was the, yeah, the, the impetus because, Clarity of expression is also a gift to the listener. I, I, clarity, if I, if I, although I'm, I'm not claiming that I master perfection or anything, but if I speak with another party and I'm able to convey to him the concepts that I wish to convey in a way that somehow gives him or her some kind of intellectual pleasure, if not as for the sound of words or for the construction of the words, then the efficacy of the message is that much increased. And so you, you, you do two things at the same time. The message is uh, effective. You give some pleasure to the listener because I, when I listen to someone who speaks as well, I say, oh, good God, I, I, I envy in a positive way. You know? Yes. So, <clears throat> so these are, yeah, I digress a little bit long, but they were in, in essence, yes. Elegance of expression is a tool for persuasion. So when you've decided on a, on a author and a work that's worth doing this kind of um, analysis. An analysis on, uh, what's the, what does that process look like? Do, do you begin with just collecting the quotations and then trying to find what categories they fall into? Or do you start with some of the categories, the subjects? This is, this is goes to another, uh, another project of mine which I did not get to conclusion because as a character, I, I do not have what is called the killer instinct. <laughs> <laughs> which not, which I'm, I'm not saying this sarcastically. It's very important to have some kind of good, not killer, physically killing, you know. But uh, um, when, I, um, when I finished to study, I, I have a PhD. I, I, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm not saying that I have a PhD to say, look at this, I have a PhD. You know, it took me 10 years to get it because, because of what I was doing before. I recognized that I did not know how to read, which sounds a silly thing because I've done all this stuff, you know. So um, I decided to eventually to to make a system 
and to create a little machine, which I did not do. I did not do it personally because I'm not a mechanical engineer, but it was a very good engineer for me. I divide what I read into five, uh, into five categories. Something which is a, an important subject, something which is important but not critical, something which is worth the quotation, something which is amusing, and something which is a good expression. For all of these, I, def- I, de- I decided f- um, the four, four different color dots. So all the, most of the books that I read, not all now because I don't have the time, are coded in this way. So when I want to, when I don't know <laughs> what to look for, I go, I did all Dr. Johnson with this. I, go, I, I, I opened the pages of, of, of a book and found, ah, this is a good expression. Let's see if I could use it. And so <clears throat> this, in my opinion, would have been a, uh, I'm sorry, digress. It stopped me if I'm going out, but I will finish. I thought it was a good system because, uh, as I said, I, I, I didn't know how to read. I realized I did not know how to read. I wrote at the time uh, to, um, oh, I don't know whether it's now past a few, few years, Mortimer Adler. Mortimer yes. Adler yes. Okay. And uh, I was very young then. And uh, I said, I read your book, How to Read a Book. And I want to tell, I allow myself to tell you that I've de- designed a mechanical system that somehow brings, brings your ideas to a practical solution. And very kindly, he invited me to go meet with him in San Francisco. And he also gave me a very good, um, a very good uh, reference. I said, this is a good system that embodies this. I thought very, very naively that with that, with that endorsement, I could go, to a, I could go to a company in that business because to make one of these independently cost me 30 or $35, but it should be made maybe for $2 or $3. And I went to Avery in Los Angeles. But of course, I, am no, I was no one. I am no <laughs> one. So unless you come with this, it is in the nature of things, unless you present yourself with this baggage or with this with this uh, uh, mountain of qualification, endorsement, this and that. So, but even in dorms, no one such person did not carry any weight. So, I found someone at um, Avery who was interested. In, he actually, he adopted the system. He bought some of the stuff for his daughter. But I did not. I wasn't able to break through. This was I'm saying. I don't have the killer instinct. I don't know how. <laughs> So, but that is how that you, I'm, I'm getting to the end of the answer to your simple question. How do you go about it? It started that way. I'm still doing this way. I'm classifying the quotation according to a five categories of uh, categories of whatever meaning, standing of mm-hmm. both aesthetic. Grammatic, grammar, and syntactical standing. Well, that's actually pretty fascinating. We, I mean, we we have a a book that we publish, um, the Circe Guide to Reading, which is also a distilling in a different in a different method. Some of the things, some of the things that Mortimer Adler wrote in his original book, um, but uh, uses a color coded system as well that was published or written by our our founder Andrew and and uh, one of our other vice presidents, Andrea Lipinski. Um, but for slightly different purposes, you know, on a, a more on a first reading of a, of a text. Um, 
but we also have a lot of our folks in the audience who like to do common placing of, of quotations from things they read. And so there's various categorizing, categorizing systems and that yours is one that I find pretty interesting and obviously leads to something like this where, where you can create these kind of dictionaries. Yes, actually, I even wrote a book at the time to explain. I didn't, because the book would be essentially a conversion of Mortimer Adler's How to Read a Book book into practice. So it's not very, it doesn't need be to be very long because, mm-hmm. but uh, one book is fine. The, the beauty of this comes after years. You know, after many years, I pick up a book that I read years ago. I say, ah, it reconstructs it immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I read, even I do that, even I did it with novels, you know, because um, particularly long novels, uh, they are, they are, they are saturated with the excellent concept that can be mm-hmm. used either for personal life, if you like, but without being so grandiose in, in a situation of things that you wish to read, so wish to apply. And so that is the reason. So I, I digress, but that's how you asked me how I did it, how did you start it? Yes. So I applied that method in order to create the books. Okay. Well, um, you mentioned... One of the other things that's not published yet that you've been working on with Gibbons, but you have another Shakespeare um, project that you're working on. If you could, I wonder if you could tell us a little more about that as yes. well. Uh, then, um, it's almost finished, but I'm, I'm a one-man company in this case. <laughs> uh, and I do a lot of, in my, on my website, I do a lot of historical videos, which I produce for a local college here. I don't know what you've done, look at them. So and I, I like to do these videos because it's, it's also good for me because I find uh, you can put the pictures and things of this. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, the the book, the book, it's a combination book, internet, and I, I may deliver part of deliver that there will be a part in print and a part contained in a USB or some other method. But <clears throat> the book, well, the, 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 system, the code will be called Shakespeare in Pictures. How to remember if I handle the Shakespearean quotation without really trying or something. The, the, this, the, this will be a very long conversation because it's, I've worked for, I researched for many, many years what the ancient um, classics did for this type of stuff because there was no, there was no, there was no paper. You remember the paper right, was yeah. really expensive, like papyrus, but you had to be a billionaire at the time, you know, to be in order to have the papyrus so, and only became available frankly in in good in good uh, quantity only the 1700 although the printing came up on the 1400 with gutenberg but it was only on the 1700 that you know 1600 even later at the time of leibniz and <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> i studied quite a bit how they managed to do this fantastic orations and all this stuff without without paper and uh, of course in itself every every important idea is as simple as leo tolstoy used to say but the the very idea is to how to convert that in picture and we do this even the little boy that says this is the elephant and the return looks at the elephant and says yes elephant that's the core idea but then it articulates itself this idea into a number of other avenues which I studied in detail, and one of the uh, one of the avenues 
one of the important aspects of this has to do with aesthetics. And here I don't want to go too deep, but anyway, um, Kant demonstrated or studied the fact, the philosopher Kant, that aesthetics precedes learning. Uh, a person who has no learning still has a sense of aesthetics. And it starts with a child. And so relying on aesthetics is the, the, prim the primordial and the primary system to engage the memory, because what is, we remember what is beautiful more than what is not beautiful, and what is particularly beautiful we never forget. This is a very simple principle. So the conversion of the, this 500, 502, 503 quotations into pictures enables the practitioner, the willing practitioner, <laughs> to, um, to go through two stages. First, gradually remember the, the uh, quotation through by looking at the picture. Then it goes through stages. I'm not going to call this very long because it could take hours. But anyway, you essentially go through stages. First, you look at the picture and you say, okay, I need to have the picture in order to, to uh, remember it. Then it goes through a second stage where you only need to look at the picture for one second. It is all. And eventually you get to the point where automatically the, the lines come back to your mind only but because you have this background of the picture which has been stored in your mind. I'm not talking about just the quotation of your, uh, the, just like the one I said before. I'm talking about the very long monologues like tomorrow, 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 because in this space, mm -hmm. today, yesterday, blah, blah, blah. This seems obvious, but it is, it is not until you try it. And uh, the, if I can, go outside the theme, but just for 10 seconds. Because you have to, you have, it is important to, um, to practice this, and you, there, is only, there are only 24 hours in the day, uh, one can do this, for example, going on a, uh, on a stationary bike, which is what I, I do. And uh, <clears throat> because of the systems now that I will put out, people can see it on, uh, on the television, on the television set, so you can have it stationary bike, the television set there, and you can spend 20, 30 minutes doing exercising while at the same time reinforcing the muscles of the mind, <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. So I, I, I try to be as concise and le as little prolix as possible. You, you mentioned the uh, the website that goes along with your materials, uh, which is your dailyshakespeare.com, and we'll make sure to put a, a link to that in the in the show notes as well. Um, and on there, you have the videos you mentioned that you do there for the local college. How would you suggest to someone to use the resources there on the website? The, the, there are about 500 articles and essays which are accumulated in 10 years. And uh, there, are the three, there are three sections, really, the most important one, two, two sections. One is the articles. And I try to apply in the articles the principles that I try to propound <laughs> um, uh, with um, with the book. In fact, my articles are published in other magazines too. But in the ones on my in the uh, in this in the articles that I publish on my website, when there is a Shakespearean quote, I make the reference at the end so they can see this is comes from this. So this is a difference. <clears throat> and the <clears throat> and this is for the written section. For the videos, they go to the video sections, and they all they you know, there are about eighty hours of videos. They, they go through, um, uh, there are 
there are about 10 videos on the history of the of the history of Italy from from uh, the from, from the empire to the to the year 1000 there are there are there are, there are eight um, approximately eight uh, videos about 30 minutes each for this for on the history of Russia the history of the development of why, how, how communism developed on the basis of the, the history of Russia in the 1800s. And so around there is the subject, and also sometimes recent. So there is about, there are about 80, 85 uh, video essays, half, half, an, half an hour each. So it's quite a bit of learning. Quite, and I try to cover argument they are not covered um, already by all history books. So, if some if somebody wants to use some of the information for some essay, they, uh, it would be a good point to start. I'm not saying they should copy though something, but there's information they can refer to. And history, is, as we all agree, is a very interesting subject because you, it's all people, it's all men doing all sorts of funny things, and so. There is an element of uh, interest which is independent of the academic value of of, of what may want to of what, some of what someone may want to achieve by doing this. All right. Well, where if our listeners are interested, where where's the best place to find your books for purchase? They can buy it on the uh, they can buy it on Amazon, but if they because I always I like to. Um, if if they contact me and I I can I can we I make shipments about once a week once in two weeks or three weeks depending and uh, I will give them a discount of ten dollars which is which is which is reasonable. Okay, and they can contact you through the website. My uh, they can uh, they contact me at the website or they can send me an email address. Oh yeah, I can they send me an email to my email address. Okay. And then, if they have any questions, they, <clears throat> then I will put them on the list. If they are interested in my in my new Shakespeare's and Pictures uh, work, then I will let them know when it is available. It's almost finished, but the the uh, the combination I'm still uncertain about the combination how to make it for the for the uh, to put on the screen whether to it doesn't matter. It's <laughs> to resolve. Well, I will make sure to put both the link to the website and and then your contact information in the show notes as well. So. Yeah, the email address which you have. Yes. Well, Dr. Melia, thank you for for joining us today. This has been uh, really fun to talk to you about all this. Um, again, I think these are some great some great resources for for, for our listeners. So, thank you for inviting me. Thank you, and and uh, wish you all the best for the to your organization and to your pupils, to your admirers, students, people interested in learning at large. Listeners, thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Cisterns of Learning dug long ago, trying from springs too deep for taint. Please check out the links to Dr. Melia's materials in the show notes. You can send your comments and questions to podcast at circeinstitute.org. And join us next week for another episode. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network. <laughs>